Welcome to the HBG Bible Talks podcast, where we do simple, focused reading and discussion from God's Word, the Bible. I'm Stephen. And I'm Chase. We are Bible teachers in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, and we're excited to get into the Word and to share it with others. Okay, well, we are back. Uh, Going to try to finish up the first five books of the Bible in the show today. We've been doing an overview that we hope will encourage further study of Israel's time as they are being formed as a nation. And uh, they have spent a long time after the exodus from Egypt. In They've spent a long time at Mount Sinai, um, learning about God, learning about what he expects from them, various laws that he gave them. And uh, they have left Sinai now in the book of Numbers, and they have come to the doorstep of the promised land and are ready to enter. We've seen some more complaining and some rebellion from them. Uh, so it's a little, you know, we're a little nervous going into this, but uh, we're going to pick up today in Numbers 13 and see how this generation does when they're presented with the opportunity to go into the land that God promised back in the book of Genesis to give to Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and their descendants. Yeah, um, we don't leave a whole lot of episodes on a cliffhanger, so this one was fun to do that on because it just kind of lent itself that to we it. we kind of ruined it. Yeah, so. we did. It's, there's a spoiler alert we gave. But um, just let's point out again what they were. They were slaves in Egypt. They weren't able to come and go as they pleased. They, they didn't have a land of their own. Everything leads up to this moment. Their whole reason for dwelling in the wilderness for the two years that they've already been there is leading up to this moment of getting to go into this land that God has promised them. And so they get there in chapter 13, and I think it'd be good for us to kind of read what the instruction was. 13.2, this is God speaking to Moses. He said, Send out for yourself men so that they may spy out the land of Canaan, which I am going to give to the sons of Israel. You shall send a man... From each of their father's tribes, every one a leader among them. So Moses sent from them the wilderness. Uh, excuse me. Moses sent them from the wilderness of Paran at the command of the Lord. All the men who were the heads of the sons of Israel. These were then were the names, and we won't take all the time to, to read all the names. Mm-hmm. So uh, Stephen, pretty orderly way to do it, right? Yeah, one man from each tribe. So that's going to be twelve spies are going to go and see the land that. Um, that God is going to give to them as they go in. That's right. So God wants them to see uh, and kind of preview. All right, here's the land that you're you're going to get. And there's going to be some good things about the land. They're going to come back and they're going to even bring a sample of the fruit of the land. It's enormous. But they're going to come back and they're also going to say, there is no way that we can do this. And in Numbers 13, in verse 25, it says, At the end of 40 days they returned from spying out the land, And they came to Moses and Aaron and to all the congregation of the people of Israel in the wilderness of Paran at Kadesh. They brought back word to them and all the congregation and showed them the fruit of the land. And they told him, We came to the land to which you sent us. It flows with milk and honey, and this is its fruit. However, the people who dwell in the land are strong, and the cities are fortified and very large. And besides, we saw the descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites dwell in the land of the Negev. The Hittites, the Jebusites, and the Amorites dwell in the hill country. And the, and the Canaanites dwell by the sea and along the Jordan. Yeah, so they're scared. It's um, like, it's really nice land, but it's already occupied. And these are not pushovers. 
Yeah, and specifically, if I'm not mistaken, Stephen, the descendants of Anak would be like giants. Um, there's giants in the land. Like, did you see how big those guys are? Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, we can't go over there and beat them. We're slaves. We were slaves in Egypt. Who are we to go and do this? Mm-hmm. Um, and one of my one of my favorite parts of this entire story is a, a man named Caleb. We'll see more of him um, specifically in the book of Joshua. It's kind of cool. But he quiets the people down, and I'll give you the gist of what he says. What? <laughs> are you kidding? Guys, we have God on our side. We're, yeah, they're big. Yeah, they're scary. But we've got God. We, we can go in. We can win this. And he is upset at the report that the other uh, ten spies had given. He says, we need to go in and drive them out immediately. Um, and what's going to be really cool is a little bit later in Caleb's stories, he's an old man by the time they take the land in the book of Joshua. We'll get there eventually. And Caleb, as an old man, goes in and takes his portion of the land, uh, just as God said he would. But um, it's only Joshua and Caleb who give a positive report and say, you know what, yeah, there's scary people over there, but we can go and take it. The ten other spies, um, whose names we don't remember for a reason, That's right. by the way. Um, that, and they are a little more difficult to remember, like uh, uh, Palti and Gadil, <laughs> um, some of these others. But we don't remember them. Because they were cowards. Um, Joshua and Caleb were the ones that were, were ready and willing to go in. And um, I also just like to point out that the type of people that were over there, the Nephilim, the sons of the Anak, uh, it says we became like grasshoppers um, in our own sight. And so we were in their sight. That's how big these men were at this point. Mm-hmm. But chapter 14 um, is just a disheartening chapter to see the way the, the Israel, the congregation, responds to this. Yeah. After all the reasons that God has given them to trust him and all the opportunities they've had to see how he's provided for them and defeated their enemies and brought them out of Egypt, a much greater army, um, now they won't trust God to give them the land. And they weep that night. And so God is very angry, and he, he's, about, he's about ready to wipe them out again. Mm, yeah. Moses intercedes for the people again. I've lost count of how many times Moses has interceded for the people now. But God says, okay, I'm not going to destroy them. But because they were spying the land out for 40 days, this generation is going to wander in the wilderness for 40 years. In Numbers 14, 34, um, verse 33, he says, um, and your children shall be shepherds in the wilderness 40 years and shall suffer for your faithlessness until the last of your dead bodies lies in the wilderness. Mm-hmm. According to the number of days in which you spied out the land, 40 days, a year for each day, you shall bear your iniquity 40 years and you shall know my displeasure. And so God's going to basically hit the reset button by uh, giving them 40 years to be stuck in the wilderness. Again, they've been in the wilderness for a couple of years to get to Canaan, but now they're going to go back into the wilderness, turn around, and have to deal with the wilderness for another generation's length of time until their children grow up. Their children are going to get to go in the land, but this faithless generation that would not trust God doesn't get to go in, except for two people, Mm -hmm. Joshua and Caleb, Mm -hmm. because they listened to the Lord and trusted him. Um, so there's just a lot we learn about there, about God and about how he works with people. Uh, and by the way, I don't think this means that you know this whole generation of people was lost. They could still have repented. But the physical consequences of their sin would cause them, that generation, to die out without getting get to get to go into the physical promised land. And I remember you, I used to be confused about that for a long time. It's like, did it take them like 40 years to like find it? Like Were they just yeah. like walking around until they just, oh, oh, found it. Here it is. No, they, they got there in two. 
but they weren't able to go in for another 40 because of disobedience, mm-hmm. um, because of a lack of trust in God. And so um, it's gracious of the Lord to even let their children go in, um, and let alone Joshua and Caleb. He spares them. They, they have life um, far beyond the normal days, I would imagine. Just they're old by the time they get to go in as a result of their faith in God. And so even though we see God's just nature, I think we still see the mercy of God here as well for not striking this generation dead on the spot. That's right. But instead, um, they're there to die in the wilderness. Yeah. And so um, we enter the rest of the book of Numbers. Really, the rest of the book of Numbers is these 40 years that yeah. they're uh, in the wilderness. Uh, and for a lot of it, it seems like they're camped, actually. There's uh, some travel that goes on, but it's not a lot. Uh, they're kind of stuck there right at the doorstep of Canaan um, and are waiting to, for the new generation to come up so they can go in. So Numbers 15, there's various laws given. And then Numbers 16 and 17, things go from bad to worse. Uh, we saw a little bit of this when Mose, when uh, Aaron and Miriam came against Moses back in chapter 12. But in, in Numbers 16 and 17, there's a man named Korah, along with some guys named Dathan and Abiram, who really come against the leadership of Moses and say, you've taken too much on yourself. Um, the whole congregation is holy. Uh, why do you exalt yourselves above the assembly of the Lord? And Moses falls on his face. I mean, he's, he's scared for them and basically says, listen, God's going to decide this. Uh, Moses doesn't get mad again. He shows his meekness over and over again here. And he says, I'm not actually a prophet unless God opens up the earth and creates a new thing. And that's exactly what happens is these guys, along with a a few hundred of them who are trying to basically take the priesthood for themselves is what they were doing. Um, God causes the earth to open up and swallow them up. They go down to the grave alive. And then the rest of them, the fire comes out from the presence of God and consumes them, kind of like Native and Abihu that we talked about last time. But um, it's actually interesting. At, at the end of this, um, there's an opportunity given right before all this happens for the sons of Korah, uh, basically anyone who didn't want to associate with them, to step away from them and from their tents. And we find out later in Numbers twenty six eleven, that the sons of Korah did not die. Mm-hmm. And it's actually these sons of Korah who go on to write some of the beautiful psalms that we read about in the book of Psalms. It's really interesting. Um, but all that to say, it's kind of a side note, that um, God defends Moses mm-hmm. again. And in chapter 17, there's even another little kind of ceremonial thing that happens with Aaron's rod budding. And it's another sign to show the people, God has chosen the priesthood. Don't get jealous of your leaders. God's put them in place. Trust God and don't keep rebelling because it's not going to go well. So this is kind of another effort to stop any further rebellion after Korah's rebellion. And it's really cool to see. I mean, Moses at no point gets jealous or, you know, power hungry or anything like that. He is very humble, which we emphasized last week. That's why he is called the most humble or meek man to ever live. Because even when Korah rises up, Moses kind of has an attitude of, and I don't think it's arrogance, just kind of like, you know what? Let's let God choose. Let's let God take care of this. And maybe we have a same similar reaction whenever we encounter conflict or any kind of hard thing that we just put it in the Lord's hands. Um, we, we don't trust in ourselves and, and our own pride and ability, but we put the trust back in the Father in those moments, as Moses did. And for that, he's called the meekest man to ever live. Mm-hmm. 
So there's some more laws given in Numbers 18 and 19, the duties of the priests and the Levites and some laws for purification. And then we kind of come to some more wilderness travels. And again, we're actually in the 40 years now in this section of Numbers. And in Numbers chapter 20, they come to the waters of Meribah, which means quarreling. They, they came to maybe these same waters, or maybe it's just the same name for another place. Mm-hmm. Um, in Exodus 17, and this is so... I feel bad for Moses here, but I think this is important to read this. Um, again, they quarrel against Moses and against Aaron and said, we wish that we had died uh, like Korah and his mm-hmm. <laughs> and his people. Uh, why have you brought us here to die? And um, the Lord speaks to Moses in verse 7. This is Numbers 20, verse 7. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, Take the staff and assemble the congregation, you and Aaron your brother, and tell the rock before their eyes to yield its water. So you shall bring water out of the rock for them and give drink to the congregation to their cattle. And Moses took the staff from before the Lord as he commanded him. Then Moses and Aaron gathered the assembly together before the rock, and he said to them, Hear now, you rebels. Shall we bring water for you out of this rock? And Moses lifted up his hand and struck the rock with his staff twice. And water came out abundantly, and the congregation drank and their livestock. And the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, Because you did not believe in me to uphold me as holy in the eyes of the people of Israel, therefore you shall not bring this assembly into the land that I have given them. Yeah, so honestly, this is kind of an unexpected turn. Um, the whole time we've been reading Numbers, we've kind of been seeing Moses as a hero. Aaron's had his downs as well as his ups. Um, probably more downs than ups for Aaron uh, That with the golden calf on the that he made for the people. And then when him and his sister were grumbling against Moses. But, but Moses, this is kind of shocking for us to read. Um, and on the surface, Stephen, as you read it, you're kind of like, why is God so harsh to Moses? For something like this. So what? He struck it instead of spoke to it. But I think it's really um, comes back to, to what Moses said in verse 10. Listen now, you rebels, shall we bring forth water for you out of this rock? P- perhaps Moses has now developed an attitude of um, equality with God. Uh, I don't exactly know everything that goes into that, but Moses is not uh, right before the Lord in this moment, and he's punished for it. Mm-hmm. And specifically, the charge that the Lord brings against him in verse 12 is, you did not trust me, and you did not uphold me as holy right. in front of the people. And so whatever it is that Moses did, um, it was a failure to respect God and trust God. And so Moses is not allowed himself to enter the physical promised land. Um, a huge disappointment after all that Moses has done for this people but I think also a powerful lesson that God doesn't even let Moses off the hook. When Moses dishonors God and doesn't treat him as holy, there are consequences for those actions. Now, again, I believe Moses gets to go into the true promised land mm-hmm. when he dies. Um, he dies as a hero of Israel, and he's going to be looked up to for generations as the lawgiver and one of the greatest servants in the history of Israel. But not even Moses gets off the hook when it comes to honoring God as holy and He's not, you know, given a free pass for this. And so we're learning about God in all of these uh, stories that God is patient. God is merciful. He doesn't just kill Moses on the spot. But he's not allowed to enter along with that generation because of this outburst and because of uh, his failure to uphold God as holy. 
Um, so very sobering uh, to read this. At the end of chapter 20, we see Aaron's death recorded for us. Um, it is important to see that Aaron doesn't get to enter the promised land for the same reason that Moses didn't, as we had just pointed out. And after Aaron dies, it's his son Eliezer who is going to be made priest in his place. And the entire congregation of Israel weeps for Aaron for a whole month, 30 days, in Exodus 20 and verse 29. Yeah. So in 21, uh, Numbers 21, we have a kind of a strange short story that becomes significant in the New Testament uh, about a bronze serpent. Um, the people are impatient. They grumble against God and against Moses. There's no food. There's no water. We loathe this worthless food. And so the Lord sends these fiery serpents among the people. They're biting the people. The people are dying. And so they come to Moses in Exodus 20 or Numbers 21, 7. The people came to Moses and said, We have sinned, for we've spoken against the Lord and against you. Pray to the Lord that he take away the serpents from us. So Moses prayed for the people. And the Lord said to Moses, Make a fiery serpent and set it on a pole. And everyone who is bitten, when he sees it, shall live. So Moses made a bronze serpent and set it on a pole. And if a serpent bit anyone, he would look at the bronze serpent and live. And so this strange symbol of, it's a symbol of the very thing that is plaguing them, uh, the, the result of their sin, but it's lifted up on a pole and everyone who looks at this bronze serpent is going to live. It's sort of like, that's, that's kind of odd. But again, you see the Lord's mercy as well as the Lord's judgment here. But then you get to the New Testament and just like that in John 3 and verse 14, as, and as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Um, this little story in Numbers is the background for the most famous verse in the Bible. Mm -hmm. um, and Jesus is the one lifted up. And, and if we trust in him, believe in him, obey him, um, we're healed of our sin, mm -hmm. just like these people were healed of these snake bites that were killing them. Um, so again, there's so many lessons that are just sprinkled through this wilderness experience that all point us to Jesus and how he saves us, rescues us, protects us. Yeah, it's one of those little things that if it wasn't for John 3, I think I would just keep reading right past Numbers chapter 21. It's kind of cool that it's in that as well. Yeah. So things do get a little bit better here. Um, the Lord continues to bless his people amazingly. And he gives them victory over a couple of different kings on the east side of the Jordan. As they're approaching the Jordan River, um, they defeat King Sihon and King Og, which I, you got to say, that's just fun. There's a guy in the Bible named Og. Yeah. <laughs> but this is kind of a little pre-conquest. And, and a lot of times the Lord will work with down payments in a sense. Mm -hmm. Is he'll give you a little bit of what's coming later so that you'll trust him to give you the rest of it. And that's kind of what this is with Sihon and Og. Is uh, they're, they're given victory over these two kings um, as a little down payment in a sense of, hey, I'll be with you. When you cross the Jordan and, and go to these big people that you were so scared of the first time, you know, the generation before you, this is what caused them to turn around. God is giving them even more reasons, this new generation, uh, giving them even more reasons to trust him when they go into the land. Then in chapter 22, we, we kind of learn that Israel, although they are God's chosen people, 
um, there are other people that, that have a hand in knowing who God is. It's kind of cool to see um, with Balak, um, who is from Moab, if I'm not mistaken, correct? Yes, Balak is the king of Moab. And, and Mo- Moab is the uh, sons of Moab, which is one of the descendants of um, Lot. Lot. Right, correct. Yeah, him and the Ammonites as well. So Numbers 22 through 26 is a very interesting and, and really kind of a strange story about uh, Balak, who wants to curse the people of Israel. He realizes Sihon's gone, Og is gone, we're next if we don't do something. So let's call up a prophet of Yahweh and let's have him curse the people because that's the only way they're going to lose is if their God curses them. And so he finds a guy named Balaam. Again, we don't know much about Balaam and his background, but he has some kind of relationship with the God of Israel. And he's called out to curse the people, and he knows good and well that he can only say what the Lord gives him to say. And he tells Balak that. But this is one of those instances where actions speak louder than words. And even though Balaam says the right things, you can tell he wants the money. He wants the money that Balak is offering him to curse the people. And so he goes, and every time he gets up to curse the people, what happens? God God speaks through him, and he can only say what God gives him to say. He turns the curse into a blessing, and so he keeps blessing the people. And Balak is like, come on, man, I didn't hire you to bless the people. I hired you to curse the people. So there's three different times where the curse is turned into a blessing, and Balak is getting more and more angry. And um, Balaam you know, is sent away kind of in, in shame mm-hmm. uh, because uh, he couldn't go against what God gave him to, to say. But what's sad about this story is it's followed up immediately by the people of Israel cursing themselves. And you find out later in the Bible story that Balaam is behind that too. Mm -hmm. He taught Balak to put a stumbling block before Israel, and it's women that get them. There's these foreign women who they start to intermarry with, and there's a plague that happens that's stopped by a really zealous guy named Phineas. Um, But it's isn't that just fascinating to think about Israel is not touchable as long as they're walking in covenant relationship with God right but as soon as they rebel and as soon as they disobey God's laws they bring a curse on themselves and that's what causes them to finally uh, be be hurt in, in this whole situation but um, again it's really interesting story uh, that covers several chapters here at the end of the book of numbers so moving into Numbers chapter 26, we see uh, a bunch of numbers. This is probably where the namesake of numbers comes into play, if I'm not mistaken. Mm-hmm. Is just this is the other numbering that the first one was in chapter 1, and now this is the final numbering of the new generation. Yes. Um, and then uh, in Numbers uh, 26, 51, these are those who were numbered of the sons of Israel, 601,730. So kind of a little bit of a census update there on the population of the people. Still a whole bunch of people up until this point. Yeah. And so um, they're given various laws. Or go ahead. Yeah. I just wanted to zero in on 2715 um, because Moses has not died yet. But it is told to Moses that it's going to be Joshua who will end up succeeding Moses. Um, and so it says there in uh, Numbers twenty-seven sixteen, May the Lord, the God of the spirits of all flesh, appoint a man over the congregation who will go out and come in before them and who will lead them out and bring them in so that the congregation of the Lord will not be like sheep which have no shepherd. 
So the Lord said to Moses, Take Joshua, the son of Nun, a man in whom is the Spirit, and lay your hand on him. Have him stand before Eleazar the priest, and before all the congregation, and commission him in their sight. You shall put some of your authority on him, in order that all the congregation of the sons of Israel may obey him. Moreover, he shall stand before Eleazar the priest, who shall inquire for him by the judgment of the Urim before the Lord. At his command they shall go out, and at his command they shall come in, both he and the sons of Israel with him, even all the congregation. And Moses did just as the Lord commanded him. And so Joshua is going to be this next leader. And I think this would be a really important transition point for the people of Israel. They're used to following Moses. And you can imagine the chaos that would ensue if Moses just kind of died and there wasn't already an appointed leader in the place. There's already been acts of rebellion up until this Power point. Power struggle. Exactly. And so it makes sense that God would go ahead and select the next leader of Israel. And it makes sense that it would be Joshua, who was a servant from his youth to Moses. Mm-hmm. So it's really cool that the Lord's going to be with Joshua just like he was with Moses. And again, all this is setting up the next chapter in biblical history. After we get through Deuteronomy, we'll be to the book of Joshua mm-hmm. and see him fulfilling that role that he's been commissioned to do. So there's uh, various laws through here. There's a lot more detail about the feast days. And again, all this is at this point is being given to, um, well, not quite a new generation yet, but they're, 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 ra- they're rising up. Um, vengeance has also taken on Midian here, and it's interesting that Balaam is killed along with the Midianites in Numbers 31 and verse 8. Mm-hmm. And um, we also find out in verse 16 that it was on Balaam's advice that um, caused the plague uh, with the, you know, the women and the immorality that happened earlier. So the last section of the book of Numbers, Numbers 32 through 36, We have, uh, again, kind of a down payment. After Sihon and Og have been defeated, there's now this land on the east side of the Jordan Mm -hmm. that can be taken and settled in. And so Reuben, Gad, and half of the tribe of Manasseh, which is apparently a particularly large tribe, Mm -hmm. ask and say, hey, can we just settle over here? And he says, well, okay, but you have got to come with us when we go to fight the inhabitants of Canaan. You can't just stay here. The fighting men come with us. You can leave your women and children here safely. Um, But y'all come with us. And as long as you do that, yes, you can go ahead and settle. So Israel ends up settling on both sides of the Jordan River, but just the two and a half tribes are over here on the east side of the journey. Yeah, you'll see more about that in Joshua 22 as well. There's some actual fallout that comes from that down the road. Mm -hmm. That's right. So um, there's actually kind of another interesting chapter here in Numbers 33 where you have a a, a blow-by-blow itinerary of their time in the wilderness, and you'll notice some of the place names if you read through there uh, from previous stories. But there's a lot of other places they stopped that weren't recorded. You find out we've been reading a highlight reel, as we have noted several times. Um, Various other laws given in this section uh, toward the end. But again, they're preparing the people, now a new generation, to enter the promised land. So the book of Numbers closes with the people um, coming to the end of the 40 years and a new generation uh, has arisen. One generation has passed away and now Moses is going to deliver his farewell address in the book of Deuteronomy. Yeah. And guess what? It's it's not very short. <laughs> it's, he's got a lot to say and uh, Deuteronomy is broken up into, is it five different speeches or is it I, I think of it as three parts. Okay. Um, Deuteronomy 1 through 11 is his first address. 
Uh, Deuteronomy 12 through 26 is going to be lots of laws for a new generation. Some of them are old, some of them are new. And then Deuteronomy 27 through 34 is Moses' final address. So it's yeah. kind of an opening and a closing one. Yeah. And what does Deuteronomy actually mean? It, is, it comes from the Greek word that means second law. And so, again, the idea here is Moses is given the law again. I mean, he gave it at Mount Sinai as the Lord gave it to him. He gave it throughout the book of Leviticus and parts of the book of Numbers. And now he's given a big review and also some summary statements about what's really important about the laws that God has given his people. And so that's why I, I love Deuteronomy 1 through 11. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's some hard reading in the first five books of the Bible, particularly in parts of Exodus and Leviticus, uh, some parts of Numbers. But Deuteronomy 1 through 11 is just so rich about the heart of what God is trying to teach. And Moses just kind of sums up, especially in the first three chapters, what it has been like and how the Lord has had mercy on them through this whole wilderness experience and highlights God's grace over and over again to them as uh, they've been unfaithful and he has been faithful to his promises and is now just on the verge of continuing to fulfill his promises to his people. Yeah, and so you can imagine what Moses' want for the people is as they need to learn from the mistakes of their parents and from the ones who have been disobedient. And guess what it boils down to? Obey. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, you need to obey what God said. And uh, that's really what chapter 4 through 11 is about, is um, Moses calling on them to obey God and and urging them that this is a serious thing. And so he will restate much of the law that had been given in the book of Exodus, and that's why in Deuteronomy chapter 5 we see the Ten Commandments repeated once again for the children of Israel to pay close attention to, to obey. And right after that, is Deuteronomy chapter 6, which, again, if you're skimming, please take time and and go read Deuteronomy chapter Mm 6. This is where we have the greatest command. Uh, Jesus says so in the New Testament. When he's asked, what is the greatest command? This is the greatest command. Uh, So we're just going to read Deuteronomy chapter 6. I'm going to read verses uh, 4 through 9. And the greatest command is right at the beginning of this. Deuteronomy 6, 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, The Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. All right, so this obviously sounds familiar to us as well, and it's because this was Jesus' answer to a couple people in the New Testament who asked, what is the greatest commandment? And this was Jesus' answer right out of Deuteronomy chapter 6, uh, that we need to love the Lord our God with our heart, mind, soul, and strength. And the second is like unto it. To love your neighbor as yourself. That comes from Leviticus uh, chapter 19 that we had read earlier um, in, a, in a previous episode. And among those two laws hinges really every law. If you do love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and might, then it's going to be natural for you to want to obey God and follow all of these commandments that has been given up until this point. And so it, it's really poetic thing that Moses says here, but he, he means it. Uh, you guys need to bind these things around your neck 
um, a sign on your hand so that they can be the frontals on your forehead. Pay attention to it. Uh, make sure you're following it each and every day. Mm-hmm. It's also notable that when Jesus is being tempted in the wilderness, there are three temptations that Satan throws at him in Matthew 4. And there are three scriptures that Jesus quotes. All three of those scriptures that Jesus quotes are from the book of Deuteronomy. Mm -hmm. Two of them are right here in chapter 6. Jesus quotes uh, verse 13, and he quotes verse 16. Uh, And the other quote comes from Deuteronomy chapter 8, just right in the same context. He quotes Deuteronomy 8 and verse 3. And... um, it's just powerful to think about. This section of Scripture meant a lot to Jesus himself. And he is the one who quotes this. I mean, he doesn't have a Deuteronomy scroll with him in the wilderness, <laughs> I don't think. But he had memorized this section of the law. Um, and, and it's just cool to think about this being a comfort to our Lord yeah. when he was being tempted. Well, and he knew how to apply it in a real-life situation. I think sometimes we look at the Old Testament and say, well... You know, it's good head knowledge. It's good to know those stories and get to know those things happen. But Jesus would look at those stories and say, no, I mean, that's, that's how I got through that temptation in the wilderness was because of what that said. And so may that heighten our awareness that these scriptures are really able to, to produce us with some awesome tools to fight against temptation and to fight against the devil. Amen. So, again, I commend to you those first 11 chapters, especially, of the book of Deuteronomy. We're not taking time to to read about all that. There's some other great points that he makes about why they're going into the land. It's not because they're so wise or so numerous. It's also not because they're so righteous, obviously. And so don't get a big head when God blesses you um, because it's not because of these things. It's because of the promises that God made to your fathers, and it's because of his great mercy and his great love that he's giving you this land. So just be careful when you go into the land and don't get the wrong idea. Serve the Lord with humility and love him with all your heart. That gets us into chapters 12 through 26 where this is where you do see kind of the repeating of the law. Um, it's a big section we're talking about in 12 through 26, and we're not going to be able to, to get into all the ins and outs, but it is uh, highlighting kind of three main things. Um, first off is how we worship God and how we need to be holy as we approach him, <laughs> specifically with the priests as they are going to be the ones that are interceding on behalf of the people. And so this is something we had talked about back in Exodus and Leviticus as well. Yeah. And it's in this section, or actually um, some of the feast days uh, that are given back in, in this section, the next part of, of Deuteronomy is kind of Deuteronomy. starts about 16, 18, and goes through chapter 18. And it's on leadership, um, priests and judges and kings. But there's a section at the end of Deuteronomy 18 that is super important because it is one of the only statements in this whole section that is just exclusively going to be about Jesus. It is a promise from God mm-hmm. that he is going to raise up a prophet like Moses In Deuteronomy 18, verse 15, Moses is speaking, and he says, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your brothers. It is to him you shall listen. And uh, this is going to be why when you get to the New Testament and people are like, Are you Elijah? Are you the prophet? The prophet is referring back to this passage in Deuteronomy 18 because God promised there was going to be a prophet like Moses who would arise from among the Israelite people, and they had to listen to him. 
If they don't listen to him, they'll be destroyed from among the people. Um, and that's kind of like when God says, this is my beloved son, listen to him. Right. He said, this is the guy. Uh, he is the prophet, like Moses, that I sent to you. And so we got to listen to Jesus. And that's right here. The fifth book of the Bible is already talking about God sending Jesus and the importance of listening and obeying him, just like we would listen to and obey God himself. And Jews would have known this passage. They would have known that there was going to be a prophet coming like this. And so it comes up actually a few different times in the New Testament where this is quoted, or at least uh, I think in in the forethought of the Jewish mind, that there is going to be this descendant that comes after. And we know Jesus is that descendant that's being talked about here. That's right. So this next big chunk, uh, Deuteronomy 19 through 26, is just there's a lot going on here. There's a lot of various laws given. Yeah, I don't really know how to sum up exactly what's going on in 19 through 26. but It just, is miscellaneous. Yeah, looking at my subtitles, uh, you just got a bunch of different laws, miscellaneous laws that he's covering, um, even so much so about the law of divorce in Deuteronomy 24. And that one's noteworthy because it's one that the Pharisees had in mind when they were questioning Jesus about divorce in Matthew, the 19th chapter. Yeah, important to understand those in context. Uh, and another interesting one is about the man uh, who is uh, put to death and then hung on a tree. Mm, yes, He's going to be yeah, cursed by yeah. God, and that's going to end up applying to Jesus. Yeah, and, and he becomes a curse for us yeah, by hanging on the cross. Galatians 4, we'll talk about that a good bit as well. Yes. So again, just really cool to see Jesus is cropping up all over the place, even in this section of Scripture, mm-hmm. which shouldn't surprise us at this point. But it's interesting that at the end of Deuteronomy, uh, we're going to have uh, kind of the final section is Moses' final address, and his death is recorded. Of course, someone else, I'm assuming, recorded Moses' death and adds that to the scroll. Um, But in Deuteronomy 27 and 28, just like we saw at the end of the book of Leviticus, we have a section of blessings Mm -hmm. and curses. And there's even a ceremony given that when they come into the land of Canaan, they are to stand on two mountains, uh, Mount Ebal and Mount Gerizim, and kind of chant these curses to each other as they enter into a covenant and say, hey, now that we're in the land, we need to remember um, God will bless us if we obey and he will curse us if we disobey. Yeah, and going with that, Moses says, when you cross into the Jordan, you're going to set up these large stones and coat them with lime and write on them all the words of this law. And I just want to point out, spoiler alert, they will end, they will end up doing that. Uh, Joshua will ensure that they set up these big stones like Moses had told them. It's refreshing to. that they, they do it. Yeah, <laughs> they, exa- it they really is. Yeah. Um, and so in in verses in Deuteronomy 29 and 30, we have the kind of the closing address of Moses. And again, there's so many beautiful things here. But I want to read uh, Deuteronomy 30, verses 11 through 14. Uh, this is quoted in the New Testament in kind of a surprising way. But just listen to Moses here. Deuteronomy 30, verse 11. For this commandment that I command you today is not too hard for you, neither is it far off. It is not in heaven that you should say, Who will ascend to heaven for us and bring it to us, that we may hear it and do it? Neither is it beyond the sea that you should say, Who will go over the sea for us and bring it to us, that we may hear it and do it? But the word is very near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart, so that you can do it. See, I have set before you today life and good, death and evil. If you obey the commandments of the Lord your God that I command you today by loving the Lord your God, by walking in his ways, and by keeping his commandments and his statutes and his rules, then you shall live and multiply, and the Lord your God will bless you in the land that you are entering to take possession of. 
But if your heart turns away and you will not hear, but are drawn away to worship other gods and serve them, I declare to you today that you shall surely perish. You shall not live long in the land that you are going over the Jordan to enter and possess. So anyway, he goes on, but um, he is just pleading with the people and saying, look at what God's done for you. It's not too hard, but you've got to trust God Mm -hmm. and you've got to love him with all your heart and serve him. And things will go well for you if you will do that. Yeah, that, no, that's exactly right. And um, man, I I had forgotten just how I almost said preachy Moses got here at the end. But I mean, these are his last words to a generation that he loves. I mean, really, at the end of the day, we know he loves his, these people. I mean, this is the same group of people that he's interceded for not once but twice, but three or four times on multiple occasions where God has been ready to, to strike this generation dead. He is now um, interceded for them. And so it's no surprise that he's wanting the, the offspring of this, this people to do well, uh, to choose life, to prosper, and not to choose death instead. But it also goes to show just the man's free will at this point. Um, the decision is in their lap on what they're going to do. And that is something Joshua is going to call their attention to in his, in his address to them as he begins to lead them as well. You know, you've got to make a choice. Are you going to serve God or serve foreign idols? Um, make your choice right now here today. That is right. And I think it's really cool talking about Joshua. Um, he is really appointed in chapter 31. We've already seen the Lord choose him. But there's kind of a ceremony here in chapter 31 where that's going to happen. And Moses gives kind of Joshua a, a pep talk. And he tells him, be strong and courageous uh-huh. yep. in, in Deuteronomy 31, verse yep. 6. And that's going to be the, repeated by the Lord to Joshua yeah. um, in Joshua chapter 1. So this all this is setting up the book of Joshua and him leading the people into the land. Yeah, so I guess um, just looking through here, um, yeah, chapter 31, 23. Then he commissioned Joshua the son of Nun, be strong and courageous. Okay, man, it says it a few times in this chapter. Mm-hmm. I just realized that. Yeah. Or that's specifically told. Um, but, man, he also points out to Joshua in thirty-one twenty-six. Uh, take this book, the law, place it beside the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God, that it may remain there as a witness against you. For I know your rebellion and your stubbornness. Behold, while I am still alive with you today, you have been rebellious against the Lord. How much more then after my death? Assemble to me all the elders of your tribes and your officers, that I may speak these words in their hearing and call the heavens and the earth to witness against them. For I know that after my death you will act corruptly and turn from the way which I have commanded you, and evil will befall you in the latter days. For you will not do that which is evil in the sight of the Lord. Excuse me. For you will do that which is evil in the sight of the Lord, provoking him to anger with the work of your hands. Then Moses spoke in the hearing of all the assembly of Israel the words of the song until they were complete. And so, not a whole lot of faith on the part of Moses in this generation. They've yeah. clearly um, shown a lack of trust in the Lord, and uh, Moses tells them that. Yeah. Though actually, we will be pleasantly surprised when we get to Joshua. The Joshua generation is one of the most faithful in the history of God's kind people. of the greatest generation of their day, <laughs> I guess. Yeah, um, it is interesting. So what do you have to say about chapter 32 here, Stephen? It, it kind of stands so, out in a book that we kind of sometimes consider boring because it's just like a, it feels like a bunch of lulls. But really, when you get to chapter 32, it's poetry, um, and it's the Song of Moses. Yes. So this is really an interesting song. So at the end of chapter 31... He tells Moses to write this song down and to teach it to the people because it's going to kind of tell them what's going to happen. And it's not exactly a national anthem, but it's telling the end of the nation from the beginning. 
and it's not going to end well. It's kind of a depressing uh, downer of a song. But it, it talks about God's faithfulness and um, what he's going to do for them. We won't, of course, take time to read all of this. But it's a significant prophecy, in a sense, about what's going to happen with Israel. And that there's, there's still going to be a need for salvation from somewhere else. Because though Israel uh, is being given the land, they're going in. God's the one who's still going to have to save them. And there's going to be another source of salvation that comes. There's also a final blessing that Moses gives in Deuteronomy 33 on the different sons of Israel. Again, very similar to how the book of Genesis ended Mm -hmm. uh, with Jacob blessing each of his 12 sons there. And then Deuteronomy 34 brings us to the death of Moses. And he gets to glimpse the land of Canaan. He takes them up on Mount Pisgah and is able to look over across the land and see it with his eyes. He's not able to go in, but God shows it to him. And then Moses dies there on the mountain, and no one knows where he's buried. 120 years old, Mm -hmm. full life indeed. That's right. And so they end up, Israel, weeping for Moses in the plains of Moab for 30 days, just like they did for Aaron. And I love Deuteronomy 34, 9. Now Joshua, the son of Nun, was filled with the spirit of wisdom. For Moses had laid his hands on him, and the sons of Israel listened to him and did as the Lord had commanded Moses. Since that time, no prophet has risen in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face. For all the signs and wonders which the Lord sent him to perform in the land of Egypt against Pharaoh, all the servants and all his land, and for all the mighty power and for all the great terror which Moses performed in the sight of all Israel. Again, a a portion I don't think Moses himself wrote, (laughs) but maybe a scribe a a little bit after the fact. But uh, two things I love about this. One, Joshua is filled with the spirit of wisdom that Moses had given him. he's, He's now taking the reins. He's taking over, and he's not doing it by his own strength and by his own might, but he's got the wisdom of God that Moses had passed along to him. And then two, just the small tribute here to Moses, mm-hmm. um, that there was no other man that rose like Moses, no other prophet at least that had risen like him yeah. that knew the Lord face to face. Which I think that goes back to the promise that was made in Deuteronomy 18. Yeah. There's going to be a prophet like Moses, but whenever this little addendum was written, the, uh, the status update is, not yet. Mm-hmm. There has not been a prophet like Moses yet. But it whets our appetite to say, well, when, when is there going to be a prophet yeah. like Moses come up? And uh, so that gets us excited for the next section of Scripture and ultimately gets us excited because Jesus is going to be the one who fulfills that. It's going to be a long time uh, in our, from our perspective before Jesus comes on the scene and fulfills that promise. But um, we're, we're eager for it when yes. we finish the book of Deuteronomy. Yeah, that's right. So Lord willing, this gets us into the book of Joshua. We'll talk more about that next week. And we're, we're sitting there wondering, okay, like... Their, their parents weren't able to do it. Is this next generation going to do it? Are they going to learn from their parents' mistakes? Are they going to be the ones that finally go in and take the land that is just sitting there waiting for them? And so the book of Joshua gets into that uh, part of the next generation that um, hopefully is going to learn from the mistakes of their parents. Yeah. Thank you guys so much for listening. We hope this is helpful to you. Uh, Please, if you're enjoying the podcast, subscribe, leave us a rating or review. If you're interested in in in-person or online Bible studies, 717-585-0949 or email us at capitalcitychristians.com. Or for more information and other studies, check out capitalcitychristians.com. Thanks so much for listening.